You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast, our second of the week. As earlier this week, we talked about the Pirates-Greenville champion, Regional Championship, and now we're turning our attention to the Super Regional as it's a fairly quick turnaround as the Pirates travel to Nashville. It is Wednesday afternoon. Jonathan Wagner joins me. I am Stephen Igo. Jonathan just saw the team off at Clark Clare Stadium. How were the vibes out there, Jonathan? They were pretty good. Um, really positive. They were decent, decent turnout. I wasn't sure what to expect in the middle of the day on a Wednesday, but a lot of the Pirate faithful showed up, and you know, spirits seemed to be high around there. It was it was cool to see the team off. It was see, cool to see a lot of people come to see the team off. So spirits were high, and things were looking good. Everyone was pretty happy and excited to get ready and get get geared up for this weekend. So Jonathan and I will both be traveling to Nashville. I will be going as a media member. Jonathan's going to keep his fan uh, thing going because it's worked out the past few weeks. He went to Clearwater, uh, which you know didn't end in a championship, but uh, he got there and the team started to win. He missed the first game, so you can't blame that on him. Uh, and then, of course, you saw the regional. You were going to work it, but uh, it turns out you couldn't get a credential to the first game or two, so you went as a fan. That worked out pretty good. Now you're going to Nashville as a fan. You'll probably end up with seats beside the Whistlers, and you'll have to deal with that the whole game. I'll be in the press box working. Uh, we're flying out Thursday morning, um, 10 a.m. out of Greenville. So if you're on my flight, say, hey, Jonathan, I think y'all are driving through the night. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. We did it for Clearwater. We drove through the night on Wednesday night, and we had an off day on Thursday in Clearwater, but tonight, tonight, thank God, but tomorrow night, Thursday night, we're going to leave probably 6, 7 p.m., drive through the night, probably get into Nashville around 8 in the morning, hopefully take a quick two, three-hour power nap, and then get geared up and ready to go, but it's going to be a long day, but I'm pumped. I'm excited that we were able to go. We got tickets. We're going to be in the infield, too. We're not going to be in the outfield, so we'll be out there. I'm excited. It's going to be a long drive, but I think it's going to be worth it in the end. Yeah, and, you know, it wouldn't be an ECU Super Regional appearance without a uh, 12 noon first pitch Eastern time. And not only 12 noon Eastern, but 11 a.m. Central. So if you are going to take that nap, Jonathan, uh, you better get it in quick because you're going to have to be at the stadium 11 a.m. local time in Nashville. And I guess it could play to ECU's favor from the standpoint of I doubt it'll be a very raucous crowd at 11 a.m. local. I don't think Vanderbilt's the most raucous crowd to begin with anyway, so that could play to ECU's advantage, but for whatever reason, the NCAA does not like the Pirates in primetime, even with Kumar Rocker and uh, Jack Leiter on the mound, which really surprised me. I thought for sure ECU would get a primetime game at least one of these first two games. Yeah, surprising. You know, Vanderbilt can roll out, you know, Rocker and Leiter, and ECU is Gavin Williams. I'd say he's he's pretty good in his own regard, so no matter which game he starts, Friday or Saturday, I think that warrants a primetime matchup, but 
you know, you say Vandy doesn't have a raucous crowd, but I think the Pirate Faithful is pretty raucous um, in our own defense. So I think you'll hear us there, maybe more than Vandy, who knows. But I plan on being very loud. I plan on not having a voice again. I'm still recovering. I went to the Hurricanes game last night as well. I'm surprised my voice is as good as it is right now. But I plan on not having one by the time we talk to recap the Super Regional next week. But I think it's going to be fun. But, yeah, I'm, I'm very surprised that at least you would think the first first matchup because you're guaranteed Rocker against likely either Gavin Williams or Carson Wisenhunt. So it's surprising, but they're going to keep hating on ECU. And I think one day ECU is going to show them that you can't hate on them anymore. So I'll, be, I'll see how they show out. Cliff Goblin with a great quote yesterday about how he's sick of the SEC and – you know, ECU is not a little league program. They uh, they're going to show up and they're going to play. We'll get more into the motivation side of things, how ECU should approach this series. Uh, we, we don't have a set. You know, we're good. We're recording this on early Wednesday afternoon. Some of you will probably listen to this on Thursday and uh, Friday, uh, leading up to the uh, super regional. We don't have a set starter yet. I am monitoring. Twitter as we speak. Ronnie Wilbert on the Tim Corbin press conference, the Vanderbilt head coach. Um, this is what Tim Corbin said about Gavin Williams. We haven't seen many guys who can hold their velocity like the way he does. He's a freak. So um, that is interesting that he would he would say that as, of course, there's a lot of big-time arms in the SEC. Uh, he also says ECU is probably as unique a team as we've seen all year. Said he struggled to compare them to a previous opponent this year when talking about the Pirates due to ECU's balance. Uh, it looks like they are not sure if uh, infielder Tate Colwick will be available due to injury this weekend as Colwick is batting 288 on the season with 10 double six homers and one of their guys that's missed some time due to injury. So, couple notes there again no set starters as we sit here right now um but you know Vanderbilt's traditionally gone this year with Kumar Rocker on Friday night they went with him in the regional on Friday night and then started Jack Leiter on Saturday you know we I think if Gavin Williams feels good he will get the ball in game one I just think even though he'll be in a day short rest you have to go with your best in game one if he feels good of course you have one big bullet to use, and you want to make sure that bullet's at 100%, Jonathan, but uh, we would assume Gavin Williams goes on Friday in Game 1, and if he does, he's likely facing Kumar Rocker, and that's going to be quite a showdown and probably ECU's best chance at a win uh, one of those first two days. Yeah, like you said, if Gavin is the he's your best shot to win a game, and we've seen it all season, he's yet to, you know, get charged with the loss this season, you know, when he's gone out there, even when he hasn't had his best stuff, you know, maybe when, like we saw this weekend against Charlotte, Gavin didn't look like maybe his normal dominant Gavin self, but he still rolled out there and he pitched, I thought very well. So when Gavin comes out, I don't care who he's facing. I don't care who's the other pitcher on the mound. Like you said, that's your best shot to win. Gavin Williams on the mound. Anytime he goes out there, whoever the opponent is, He's going to put you in a position to win a baseball game. So if he goes out there and throws six innings, if he goes out there and throws seven, if he goes out there and throws four, I think when Gavin Williams leaves the mound in whatever game is throwing, ECU is going to be within striking distance. So, And we've seen all season long the bats for ECU, they show up when Gavin Williams is on the mound. So obviously, you know, 
Kumar Rocker would be a pretty tough challenge, going to be the toughest challenge ECU has seen yet. But I still trust that when Gavin goes out, East, that's going to be your best chance to win a game. And I think if you can find a way to sneak a win with Gavin on the mound, it sets you up nicely to win one out of two for the rest of the weekend. So hopefully Gavin's feeling 100% for Friday. But whenever he goes, I feel pretty good about ECU's chances to at least be in a competitive ball game. Yeah, I talked to a few scouts uh, Sunday before the Maryland game, um, and they, you know, they weren't too concerned about where Gavin's velocity was sitting. He was mainly ninety-two, ninety-three, and you know, um, for that game in particular, the Charlotte game, and, and most of the year he's been ninety-four, ninety-five. But they think it's probably just a case of, you know, maybe he's got a, a tweak in his back somewhere, which was bothering him early this year. But I doubt he'd be pitching with arm soreness or anything like that. So. Uh, he still bumped 94-95 a couple times. I'm sure on the road in this environment, he'll be feeling pretty good. So it'll be interesting to see where his stuff is at. I thought more of the issue was his command and not getting ahead. So uh, for me, the velocity isn't too much of a concern. It's more he needs to start getting ahead because I believe he gave up the home run to McKeithen on a 3-1 pitch um, to end his outing and a couple other at-bats. He walked some guys, got behind, you know, tried to sneak a fastball by uh, McGroover the one time. So... Uh, we'll see where his stuff is this weekend. To give you some perspective on the numbers for Vanderbilt, uh, if, if you look at ECU and Gavin Williams' number, they're, they're astounding. 10-0 and with a 1.82 ERA. The Pirates are 14-0 and this year when Gavin Williams has made an appearance. They are 11-0 and in his starts. Uh, Vanderbilt has basically two aces of Gavin Williams' caliber, if not better. And Kumar Rocker is kind of the guy who gets – most of the love, I guess, because of his name and because of the no-hitter he threw against Duke a couple years ago. 12-3 and with a 2.65 ERA, 144 strikeouts in 98.1 innings, just 33 walks, 160 batting average against. Jack Leiter actually has better numbers. 2.22 uh, ERA, 9-3 record. He's got 146 strikeouts in 89 innings and 38 walks, and he threw a no-hitter in his first SEC start against South Carolina uh, through seven no-hit innings the following week. I can't remember who they played. But then he had a stretch where he gave up like five home runs and three starts. He has given up 11 bombs this year, uh, which is, you know, so you can take him deep. Interesting stat, he's only given up two doubles but 11 home runs, whereas Kumar Rocker has given up 17 doubles but only seven home runs. So, um both these guys have such good stuff. They do tend to get a, punch, a bunch of strikeouts. More than likely, they're going to punch out 9, 10, 11 ECU batters each day. But it's more about grinding out, getting their pitch count up, and find a way into the bullpen. So, again, you got two aces. My, my question to you, Jonathan, is this. All right, let's, let's say Gavin Williams starts Friday against Rocker or whoever, and ECU wins that game. Do you... This is a tough question because I don't think ECU can do this, but do you effectively not punt Saturday's game against Leiter, but do you approach it differently and save your best arms for Sunday? Or do you just try and win the series straight up in game two? You know, we talked about this a little earlier in the week, and I've I've really been thinking about it ever since because it's such a crazy scenario to think. But when you say save your best arms, I, I know we're referring to Carson Wisenhunt and the likes of, you know, your big three out of the bullpen, a Cam Colmore, Matt Bridges, and a CJ Mayhew, you know, do you try to hold them off for a Sunday? But I've, I've gone back and forth. You know, it, it makes sense when you think about it because 
like we've said, you know, your chances to win and when it comes to game two and game three, whatever it's going to be in whatever game Jack Leiter does not pitch in. And it's tough to say, but I mean, I don't see Cliff Godwin just kind of rolling over and obviously, even if, you know, they do save the arms, they're, they're still going to try to win the game, but I, I can't see coach Godwin not throwing his best guys because against a team like Vanderbilt, if even if you're up one nothing in a super regional, if you let if you give them a chance to get back in it, I think you're gonna regret it. So I think I like our chances. Give it your best in game two, and then you have two chances to win. Whereas if you don't throw your best guys on Saturday, I don't wanna I don't want to go to a Sunday winner take all game if you have a one nothing lead to start. So I, th- I think personally, I lean on no, you can't do it. You have to give everything you have to win Friday. You have to give everything you have to win Saturday. And then if you get to a Sunday, it's one of those things you figure it out when you get there. And in a three-game weekend, I think your big three out of the bullpen, they're, they're going to make multiple appearances. But I think you have to try to win each game when you get there. And if you start focusing on, well, let's try to save this person for this game, then you're not going to get there. That, that's just where I lean. Yeah, and no, I think you can start out thinking yourself if you go too much into it. I think it is, you know, it, like you said, it, it makes sense in theory, but then, you know, what message are you sending to your team if you're just like, oh, well, we won game one, uh, but I don't think we can beat lighter game two. You know, we're going to throw our our guy who gets hit around and then save our best arms. Like, to me, yeah, you're right. That gives them momentum, Vanderbilt. And it kind of takes away ECU's momentum. And we saw it in uh, in the 2016 Super Regional at Texas Tech. The Pirates had, you know, it was a different scenario. Texas Tech wasn't running around. They weren't running out two top five picks, but they were, you know, they could mash. And they, they were on the ropes in game two. ECU had a chance to sweep the series, probably should have, um, just couldn't quite get it done. Texas Tech wins that game, and then they have all the momentum. They just crush ECU on Sunday. And we all kind of knew that was coming, unfortunately, just based on how that series unfolded. So uh, I do agree. You know, if you win game one, I don't think you just save pitching for Sunday. I think you go to try and win the series in game two. Now, let's say you start Carson Wisenhunt, and he gives up five runs in the first two innings and it's five to zero going to the third. Then at that point, if Leiter looks like he's got his stuff, you just kind of – then you can start throwing some some scrappy arms. But I don't think you go into it – and just punt, effectively punt, because then you're just sending the wrong message to your team. So, yeah, I think you have to try and win game one. And obviously, if you go with Gavin, you don't win game one, then you're throwing everybody game two just to try and get to Sunday. Mayhew, Colmore, Bridges, Wisenhunt, Smith, whoever. Um, you try, you just try and get to Sunday at that point. So, uh, we'll see. We'll make our predictions a little later. Uh, Jonathan wanted to talk about a few more of these numbers on Vanderbilt's side. We know a lot about ECU. Uh, I can't remember how much we talked about it earlier this week, but um, you know th- their offense, offensive numbers really good. Dominic Keegan batting three seventy four. Yeah, uh, he's their first baseman. Sixteen doubles, fourteen homers, fifty three RBIs. Enrique Bradfield Jr. is an outfielder batting three fifty nine. More of a speed guy. Forty six stolen bases. Like, Connor Norby's had a good year. I think he's still on 18 or 19. This dude is still on 46 of 52 stolen bases. That's uh, that's pretty impressive. Another impressive part of his game, 
40 walks, 33 strikeouts. So he is going to get on base. He's going to be patient, and he's going to run. He doesn't strike out. So uh, Isaiah Thomas, because there's like a million Isaiah Thomases out there that play sports, uh, he he's batting 339 with 13 bombs and 39 RBIs. Jason Gonzalez hitting 295 with nine doubles, seven homers. Um, and it just goes on and on. You know, Carter Young, one of their, their their shortstop, big power guy, 15 doubles, 15 homers, five triples, um, batting 269. So their their power numbers across the board. I think their part plays fairly small at times. Uh, it is 310 down the left field line. They do have a 25-foot wall. Not quite the green monster, but a similar. Um, so when you, when you kind of hear these numbers, Jonathan – they do have a complete attack. They can steal bases. They get on base, batting 300 as a team, 510 slugging percentage as a team. They're just really good all the way around. We said earlier, um, you know, ECU might be the most unique team that Vanderbilt has faced. And obviously Vanderbilt is the best team that ECU has faced this season once we get there. But I think Vanderbilt, not only just when you – not only just looking at their numbers and their talent, but I think they're also a very unique team. They're different. ECU has seen, I don't think there is a comparable team yet to Vanderbilt. So it's going to be a new challenge, but, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're really good. They're obviously an SEC team. Um, they didn't win the national championship in 2019 by mistake. They're not the fourth national seed by mistake. You know, they're a legit baseball team, but honestly, to me, I would think it gives it gives ECU more fuel. You know, like they said in the press conference yesterday, I think Connor Norby said it, but if you're going to Omaha, you have to walk through the front door. You can't walk through the back door. There's no easy way in. If you want to be the best and compete with the best, you have to beat the best. So I've said it a lot this week, but I'm going to keep saying it. So I think it's a challenge that ECU is going to welcome because nobody's, like Cliff Godwin said, nobody's given ECU any shot to win. So I think that's going to add fuel. And just knowing that they're facing such a quality opponent, I think ECU is going to play up to it. And I think we're going to have a competitive weekend. So, yeah, but it's going to be a tough challenge for sure. A lot of good players, a lot of good pitchers, a lot of good position players, really tough team all around. All right, so he, we, we talked about ECU um, playing up the – I don't want to say ECU is playing up the underdog card, but definitely like they are the underdog. Nobody's going to pick them. And Cliff Goblin kind of talked about that in Tuesday's press conference. We, we now have the reverse psychology of this from Tim, Tim Corbin on Vanderbilt during his press conference today. This is his quote. I don't buy into that crap. Vanderbilt's the underdog. How's that? It doesn't matter. It doesn't have anything to do with an underdog, super dog, hot dog, whatever. No dog. So <laughs> I don't really know uh, what question was asked there, but apparently not a fan of of uh, any any side being the underdog. I mean, let's be real, though. You're the defending national champs. You're Vanderbilt. They are the favorite. ECU is going to be seen as the underdog. I think this is when ECU plays its best historically. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. All right, quick quick rundown on their pitching staff, Jonathan, before we get into kind of our, our keys to the weekend. You know, of course, we talked about Lider and Rocker. Those guys, of course, get a ton of uh, recognition. If there is a game three, you got a couple guys here to, to watch out for um, as potential starters. One is they really have three guys who have started games all year, either in midweek or in game three. Uh, Chris McIlvain, 4-1 with a 4.02 ERA. He's actually been more of a reliever, but he can go long. 
So he started one game. Thomas Schultz is four and two with a four one nine ERA. Uh nine starts, thirteen appearances. Uh good stuff. Only two oh eight batting average against. And Patrick Riley is another guy, four and two with a four eight nine ERA. He started the third game of the uh, Nashville Regional. Again, good strikeout numbers, 52 strikeouts, 192 batting average against, and 42 innings. Can get a little wild with 24 walks. And then Christian Little is a guy who I think was a potential first-round pick. I want to say I read he's only 17 years old, and he uh, enrolled at Vanderbilt early. He's 3-1 and one with a 502 ERA. Great stuff, just very young, but you could see him in this region as well. So... Uh, an embarrassment of riches, like all those guys have mediocre numbers, but they're in terms of ERA, but their strikeout numbers and batting average against are ridiculous. Nobody on their pitching staff among regulars has a batting average against over 225. So that's uh, actually Christian Little's at 236. So that's it. Everybody else is under 236. So it's going to be impossible, not impossible, but it's going to be highly improbable to string a lot of hits together. Uh, they can get a little wild at times. There are two bullpen arms to watch. Nick Maldonado has seven saves. Luke Murphy has seven saves as well. Uh, 23 appearances for Maldonado and 22 for Murphy. Again, great strikeout numbers. Uh, it sounds like a, I'm repeating a broken record here. But once you get past those two guys in the bullpen, it is a little bit of a drop-off. So first key to this weekend, Jonathan, for me is I think both these teams are similar in terms of top end pitching and then a drop off. So in a three game series, both sides are going to go to their dudes multiple times. Like Matt Bridges, Cam Colmore, CJ Mayhew are all going to make multiple appearances. If I had to guess Maldonado, uh, Murphy are all going to make multiple appearances for Vandy. So who is more efficient in terms of using those arms and at what spot? I think that's going to be a a big key, and then guys like Mayhew have been who have been a little erratic lately. Maybe even Garrett Saylor had to be more consistent for for ECU to have a shot, probably. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, you mentioned the big three, Garrett Saylor. I think guys like you know and AJ Wilson, who I think past weekend in the regional got a couple of big outs. You know, not to toot my own horn, but I did. He was my pick to you know unexpectedly come up and get a few outs in the regional, and he did that. Um, but guys like that, you know, I don't really see the bullpen getting too much deeper than those five guys right there. Just because I think in a three game series, you're more able to, you know, continue to go back to your guys over and over. You know, do you see guys like Tyler Smith out of the bullpen? Um, I thought he pitched well this weekend out of the bullpen. So it's going to be interesting for sure. But yeah, I think, like you said, who's more efficient at using those guys? Because if, you know, Gavin Williams comes out and he doesn't, you know, pitch well on Friday and you have to go to your bullpen a little earlier than maybe you anticipated and you're throwing Cam Colmore, you know, three, four innings, Matt Bridges, three, four innings right away in game one, you know, they might be available for game two, but they're not going to be as fresh as they would have been. They're not going to be as fresh going into Sunday. So that, that's the most important thing to the series to me. When you do get to that bullpen, when you do get to that bullpen, it's going to be, can they pitch well, obviously, but, you know, can they be efficient? Because if they come in and they are throwing, getting a, a full count every at-bat, like we've seen it sometimes throughout the year and giving up hits and just letting Vanderbilt string things together, then they're not going to be, they're not going to be available as much as ECU will need them to be this weekend. Second key 
for us, Jonathan, not really a key, but you know, I, I think ECU stars have to rise to the occasion. You're in a series like this. Your dudes have to be dudes. Like to me, Gavin Williams has to be good. Connor Norby's got to be good. Thomas Francisco has to be good. Uh, we, you know, we talked a lot about the. There's always an unlikely hero. That's certainly possible. But I think when you get into a series like this, your, you know, your star power has to rise to the occasion. For Vanderbilt, same way for them. You know, they need Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker to be top five picks to send them to Omaha. ECU needs their guys to be as as good as possible. Um, and again, not try to put too much pressure on those guys, but that's just the reality of the situation. In many ways, they've carried you to this point. Yes, it is a team game. Baseball, you, you have to have a team to get out. But, uh, you know, you need a good weekend from your stars, and uh, I think that'll be that'll be critical to ECU's success, especially with Francisco and Norby at the top of the order in terms of setting the tone. You know, if they go out there and get on base to start Friday's game, then all of a sudden that changes the tone of uh, of kind of everybody's approach right away. Yeah, absolutely. You know, They've relied on those guys all season long, and right now is no different. Um, obviously, you know, against a team like Vanderbilt, you know, like you said, you do need the Connor Norby, the Thomas Francisco to step up early and really set the tone early on. But then you look at guys like Bryson Worrell, you know, he's not 100%. I don't know if he's going to be 100% this weekend. I would guess no, but I think he's going to try to play. So, if he's there and he's in the lineup, you need him to be on his game. But if he's there, not either not playing or, you know, he's not 100%, then you're going to need other guys, guys like Seth Cadell, who's kind of led ECU power-wise throughout the season, and guys like, obviously, Francisco Norby. And you're going to need other guys to step up. So you're going to need a balanced approach one through nine, I think. You know, it's not going to be Thomas Francisco and Connor Norby leading you to victory. It's going to be – Norby and Francisco starting things off and guys seven, eight, nine, the Lane Hoovers, the Ryder Giles, the Alec Makareviches of the world stepping up at big moments, because if you don't have a really balanced lineup and if everyone isn't stepping up one through nine and contributing, you're not going to win. All right, let's do our under the radar picks to click for this weekend. Jonathan, I'll start um, outside of the obvious guys. You know, I I like this matchup for Alec Makarevich because Vanderbilt is basically predominantly right-handed on the mound. They throw up velocity, and I feel like Makarevich can hit the fastball. He, he'll be aggressive against Rocker and Leiter, and I think this is the type of series where he won't be intimidated by those guys and wouldn't be surprised to see him have a pretty good weekend. Again, he's been stronger from the left side of the plate as a switch hitter all year. He should be in the middle of the order. He had a good weekend in the regional. So Makarevich is my uh, pick to click. Jonathan, do you have anyone on your end? Well, Makarevich was my guy. Um, that's Sorry. who I was going to go with. But you know, it is what it is. But I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Seth Cadell. I don't really know if he's an under the radar guy, but you know, like I just said, he he kind of led the way power wise for ECU throughout the majority of the season. But I think he's cooled off over the last couple weeks. But I think you know, I think personally, I think. Cadell is a really good fastball hitter. I think he struggles with the off speed a little bit, unless it's just break uh, hanging up there for him. So I think, you know, with two really good pitchers, I think Seth's going to be amped up. And with that, you know, maybe shorter field down the left field line, even with the big wall, I just think Seth's going to come through. I think 
like I said, I think EC is going to need someone to step up with Bryson Worrell not really being 100%. And I think Seth's going to be that guy. I think he's going to have a big weekend. I think he homers twice, at least. I'll say twice. I think he's going to wow. hit two homers. I'm going to go for it. You know, you guys should know by now, I don't like to make predictions unless they're really – a bold prediction is not bold unless it's really, really out there. So I'm going to say he's going to homer twice. And – I want to shut myself up before I make another prediction that I have to hear from next week. That's fair. Hey, go go big or go home. You certainly went big with the multi-homer uh, weekend for Seth Cadell. And I, I will say he hit a home run in the regional. Uh, he was hitting the ball with some authority for the first time in a while. Even hit a line shot the other way that you know ended up being a double play. But I thought that was one of the best weekends from Cadell at the plate, especially the, the last few games that we've seen in a while. Um, how much do you think the small ball – can play to ECU's advantage this weekend, Jonathan. I mean, we kind of touched on this, I think, Monday, but, you know, the, all the bunting, the sack bunting, like, I just feel like is going to have to do a lot of that to manufacture runs. Um, you know, I'm looking at the stats. Let's see. Only thir- there, have, there have only been 13 sack bunts against Vanderbilt this year. Uh, which in Vanderbilt has done 26. Like, I feel like ECU, if I looked at the stats, have probably done like 50. So um, how much do you think that could play to ECU's advantage? Because I assume that that's not something that you see in the SEC a whole bunch. So I think we're going to see a lot of slashes, sack bunts. Now, the one thing you don't want to do is run yourself into outs because you're going to have very few base runners, most likely. So how much do you think that kind of comes into play? I think it's going to play a major role this weekend and I'll go as far to say, I think, you know, your ability to get guys on base to put you in position to, you know, run some of those slashes, some of the fake bunts and even just putting bunts down, you know, hitting runs. I think that's going to be what pushes ECU across if they do win this weekend. I think you have to, you're not going to get consistent base runners against Kumar Rocker or Jack Leiter. You're just, you're not going to. So when you do get guys on base, you have to take advantage of it. So if you get, you know, like you said earlier, the scenario, uh, Norby and Francisco get on to lead things off, you know, whoever's in the three hole, whether it's a Zach Agnos, whether it's, you know, whoever, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more situations this weekend where they're going to just simply bump the guys over and you have to take advantage of those spots. You know, if you are going to give up an out and, you know, bunt a runner over the next guy up has to contribute and, bring those runners home because like I said, hits are going to be hard to come by. Walks are probably going to be hard to come by. And that means runs are going to be hard to come by. So I think the small ball definitely plays in the ECU's favor. And like I said, I think that's going to be, you know, what kind of pushes ECU across. And if ECU wants to win, like I said, you need base runners to even be in a position to talk small ball. But I definitely think we're going to see a lot of it. And, you know, hopefully he catches Vanderbilt off guard because, like we said earlier in the show, ECU is a unique team, a big part of it. Yeah, so uh, 13 sack bunts against Vanderbilt this year, 43 sack bunts for ECU on the season, 20 sacrifice flies. Uh, Vanderbilt has sack bunted 26 times with 17 sack flies. So Vanderbilt actually does a decent amount of bunting itself. So, um Enrique Bradfield Jr., we talked about him. He's sack bunted seven times, and also Cooper Davis is sack bunted seven times. Uh, Ryder Giles, how many times do you think he has uh, sacrificed bunted this year, Jonathan? 
Um, how many did you say you see you had uh, as a whole? Forty-three. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say he is eighteen. Fifteen. So okay. I mean, you're right there. Um, Zach Agnos was six. Ben Newton and Alec Makarevich and Bryson Worrell and Lane Hoover with four apiece. So uh, everybody lays it down. Seth Cadell with two and Riley Johnson with two. And Connor Norby with one, which we saw in the regional, and Thomas Francisco with one. So no one is immune except for Josh Moylan. He has not, he has not laid down a sack <laughs> bunt. <laughs> I don't even know if he's tried. Uh, so Josh Mullen, the one player for ECU among regulars that has not laid down a sack bunt. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind heading into this weekend. All right, Jonathan, we've reached the, uh, the time for predictions. I don't know how bold I want to be, but we're going to wrap up the show with our predictions. I'm going to say ECU wins its second ever super regional game on Friday but then loses the next two and comes up one game short. I just think I think ECU can do it. I really do. I just think Vanderbilt is the is quite possibly the toughest draw in terms of winning a Super Regional in the entire field. Now, they've lost three series this season. ECU has lost none. So it can happen. ECU should go in confident, but I just feel like it's going to be a tall task. They're going to have to play near perfect. And uh, I don't know. I, I just... I think Vanderbilt ultimately prevails. Yeah, I think I think Vanderbilt wins game one. I'm going to say ECU wins game two to force a game three, and then ECU falls short, and Vanderbilt takes it home. I agree with you. I think, you know, it's going to be a tough task. I think ECU needs to just make sure they're they're playing their game. If they try to force and they try to, you know, just – really push, 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 and play outside of their normal games early on, then they're going to get behind. And if you fall behind against Vanderbilt, you're not going to win. So I think just just press, you know, just game. You know, Connor Norby doesn't need to step up there and try to – like he said today, he said uh, yesterday in the press conference, he's not going up there to try to hit a home run every at-bat when he leads things off. He's there to get on base to, to set up the guys behind him. So I think that's important. But – I just think Vanderbilt's too good, but I will say, I think this is not the most talented ECU team we have ever seen, and I think it might be far from it. But I think this is the grittiest team that I've seen um, wearing ECU uniform. I think this is the grittiest team they've had. This is probably the most hardworking, the closest team they've had just with the COVID-impacted last two years. I think this team is very close. They're tight. And I think this is a, I think this is a very unique team. We haven't seen this type of team from ECU before, so I think if there is a bunch to do it, I think it's this one. But I think they just have a tough task ahead of them. But I will say, don't count them out. Even though we both predicted against them, do do not count this bunch out because they are gritty, and they've proved people wrong all year. And I could see it. I just think it's going to be very, very, very tough. No doubt. It's certainly possible. It wouldn't shock me at all. You're talking about a team that can hit for power, play small ball, field the ball, pitch pretty well, good bullpen, dominant starter. So we'll see. You know, it'll be interesting. Uh, before we get out of here, Jonathan, our, uh, there are eight Super Regionals this weekend. NC State at Arkansas, South Florida at Texas as the Bulls are the other AAC representative, LSU at Tennessee, 
Mississippi at Arizona, Dallas Baptist at Virginia, which is in Columbia, uh, Notre Dame at Mississippi State, and Stanford at Texas Tech. So those are your eight Super Regionals. In case you're wondering, if ECU is to beat Vanderbilt, they would be matched up against the winner of Ole Miss and Arizona in the first round of the College World Series. And those teams will be on the same side of the bracket as the winner of NC State and Arkansas and Stanford and Texas Tech. So maybe we will get a, a ECU-NC State College World Series semifinals. That would be a sight to behold. But any any Super Regionals that you'll be monitoring, obviously outside of the ECU Series, and fortunately we will get to see a lot of these night games because we'll be done at 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock on uh, Friday and Saturday, weather permitting. You know, the, the Dallas Baptist and Virginia series really just, you know, really sparks me, really gets me excited to watch some college baseball. Um, but, no, I, I mean, I do like watching some underdogs play, so I'm sure I'll tune into that one. But I think, I think I'm, in, I'm excited to see how South Florida does against Texas. I think they've been playing their best baseball this season in the past two months, and they're hot, and they can pitch well, they can hit. So South Florida, I think – I could see them, you know, taking a game against Texas. But other than that, you know, the Ole Miss-Arizona um, series, really, that's the one that really stands out to me because Ole Miss has a 13 – or a 12, sorry. Ole Miss has a 12, Arizona has a 5. I think those are two very even teams, very exciting teams. Ole Miss is obviously a very exciting team, exciting atmosphere. So that's one I have my eyes on. Stanford-Texas Tech is going to be great. And NC State's hot. And Arkansas showed this past weekend they are beatable. So we're at the point in college baseball season where anybody and everybody can win. So I think we're going to have a very fun weekend no matter which series you're watching, no matter which game you're watching. I think it's going to be a very entertaining weekend of college baseball. Just give me ECU over Vandy, ECU versus Ole Miss, so we can have Cliff Godwin versus Ole Miss, and then ECU versus NC State in the uh, College World Series semifinals, and then ECU versus LSU uh, for the uh, for the championship as Cliff Goblin takes on Paul Maneri in his final series. That, that would be uh, <laughs> that would be quite the postseason right there. But, hey, we'll start with winning game one on Friday at Vanderbilt. Jonathan, it's been fun, man. We will recap the, uh, the Super Regional whenever. Um, I'll be back sometime Monday, and you'll be back whenever the series is over and you guys finish driving your uh, marathon. So, uh, I'm sure we'll meet up on the streets of Nashville and uh, have some fun. Yeah, sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. I've never been to Nashville before, but you know, like I've said before, I've been I made the trip to Clearwater this year. I was here this weekend, obviously in Greenville. I'm invested in this team. I love this team. Uh, I'm not ready for it to be over, so hopefully they can keep the season rolling a little bit here. And either way, we're gonna have a good time in Nashville, and I'm looking forward to it. For Jonathan Wagner, I am Stephen Igo. We will see some of you Pirate fans in Nashville. And if you see us, come say hey. Don't be a stranger, and we'll have some fun. But uh, looking forward to a fun weekend of baseball inside Hawkins Field. Until then, you've been listening to Hoist the Colors. We'll be back with you next week. <laughs>